Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, my esteemed co-host, is uh, with us today, as always. And, you know, between Kathy and I, we have helped thousands of leaders to perform in the top 10%. We're really focusing on what we can bring to leaders to be in the moment, to be their best, which we call Emotional Brilliance. Actually, the title of our uh, recent book, Emotional Brilliance, How to Live a Stressless, Fearless Life. And both Kathy and I are uh, executive coaches. We are also working leadership development. And if you want to have some more information about us, you can go to our website and get our free ebook, 11 Reasons Why You Need Emotional Intelligence, www.emotionalbrilliance.com slash academy. And Kathy, welcome to the show. Well, hello, Relly, and I'm very happy to be here today. We are so excited to welcome Maro Porcini, who is with us today from PepsiCo. And I think it's fascinating that we're going to talk to somebody who is really in the design and innovation business. And we've been talking about the importance of emotional intelligence and specifically empathy and its impact on innovation in our last two shows. So I'm really excited to talk to an expert about what we've been seeing in the market based on the Catalyst research. And, of course, for those of you who are listening, I'm always, always pleased to be here with my dearest co-host, longtime friend, uh, one of my, uh, I'll call him a meta-mentor until we hear more about what that means from our guest today. And, as you know, uh, Relly and I are uh, partners in crime, and I say that with a big C for big, big, big communicators um, and wanting us to be uh, those who are looking for results in others, looking for insight and no less looking for ways to help everyone become um, emotionally brilliant. And so today we're going to focus on the insights of design and innovation with uh, with our guest. And Raleigh, anything you'd like to add before we bring our guest on? Yeah. Let me just say a couple of words and we'll bring in Mauro Porcini. And he's going to talk about, he has a new book, The Human Side of Innovation, The Power of People in Love with People. So we're going to drill down a little bit on that with him. But, you know, why is this so important now, this idea of emotional brilliance? You know, what do you do in the moment? And we'll bring in some of the innovations and creativity. How do we all become more creative uh, and bring in these innovative ideas that we can see from Mauro at Pepsi? Right now, for leaders that we deal with, uh, all is more. Everything is in, enhanced, more demands, more pressures, um, more requirements, less time to do things. And I know in the world that Kathy and I are in, I'm sure for Mauro at Pepsi, it's so critical that these leaders kind of know what's going on for themselves and they know what's going on for others. That's where the empathy comes in that Kathy's saying. So in the moment, they can be their best. And that's really what we're all about in these shows. And hopefully you can get a couple key uh, tools, information to go forward. So why don't we... Kathy, why don't we introduce Mauro? Um, you want to introduce him, and we can then ask him our series of sure. questions. You bet. So Mauro Porcini is PepsiCo's first ever chief design officer and SVP. In the past eight years, he and his design team have won more than one thousand one hundred design and innovation awards. And in 2018, PepsiCo was recognized by Fortune in its Driven by Design list. He was previously 3M's first chief design officer. Wow. His first book in English, his 
I would assume his second language. We'll find out how many languages Moro actually speaks. But this one is called The Human Side of Innovation, The Power of People in Love with People. I love it. I just love the, the title, right? We can't get enough love. And that's by Barrett Kohler. It focuses on innovation, design, and leadership, and it'll be released this month in 2022. And now it is available for pre-order. So take a look and make sure you get one. Morrow is the host of his own successful video podcast, In Your Shoes, with Moro Porcini on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, and I'm sure any, anywhere you can get your favorite podcast. Um, he interviews inspiring personalities from the creative community worldwide. And since 2020, he is a presenter and a judge on the TV show New York by Design and America by Design, airing on CBS and Amazon Prime Video. Porcini has been recognized with several, uh, I want to say major personal awards here, including Fortune's 40 Under 40, GQ's Italia's 30 Best Dressed Men, and Fast Company's 50 Most Influential Designers in the United States. In his professional career, Moro has been granted 47 patents on his name, and in 2018, Porcini was awarded with a knighthood cavalier by the President of the Italian Republic. He lives in New York City, and I'm very excited to welcome you to the show. Hello, hello. Hello. Hi, Casey. Hi, Riley. Thanks for having me. Such a pleasure. Oh, every, every time people read my biography, I feel so embarrassed. It, it's such a weird feeling because you work <laughs> in your life to get certain kind of achievements and results and everything. And, and then you get those recognitions. And then when they talk about them, I'm like, oh, no, no, stop, stop. <laughs> anyway, here I am. So nice to be here. <laughs> So, Power, we're, we're, uh, Mauro, we're so, uh, excited that you're with us today. And you got such a unique background. We always like to start off a little bit, uh, Mauro, in regards of kind of give us your, your background, you know, uh, who's been some of your major influences and kind of step us to a little bit of that, which is help us understand where you're at today. Well, uh, as you can hear from my accent, I'm Italian. I was born there 47 years ago uh, in a little town outside of Milan from parents from the south. And this is, and, and this little town and Milan are in the north. And it's not little detail because especially back then there was this major cultural division between the south and the north and there was a lot of racism between the north towards the south. And so here I am, my parents moved to the north, uh, to, to the north of Italy, uh, to, to work for work reasons. And growing up uh, with these parents, with this culture typical of the south, but immediately my accent was from the north and my friends were all from the north. Mm. And therefore, year after year, the culture was the culture from the north of Italy. I mentioned this also in the book. Because from the very beginning, I found myself suspended between two different dimensions. In that specific case, it was uh, two different cultures in contrast with each other. And often, you know, one of these, the human needs of any, any person out there is the one of trying to belong to one community, uh, you know. So many people try to belong to either one or the other of the community uh, communities uh, they come from. Uh, but then there are other people, and I am one of those, that instead feels very comfortable living suspended between different communities, different realities, and they find somehow their dimension, it's a, it's a sort of anomaly, but they find their dimension exactly at the crossroads of different communities. Uh, that happened when I was a kid, but this is the story of my life, in the suspension between the world of design and the world of business, between... Uh, me being Italian, but at this point being also American and living between the two regions of the world, uh, being exotic in America, but exotic at this point also in Italy. So here I am, I start in Italy, and, and I realized later on in my life something that is probably pretty obvious to many people, how important has been the influence 
of my parents in who I am today. Uh, my parents were people uh, that profoundly believed in two uh, dimensions. One was the idea of culture and knowledge and knowing things. The other one was the idea of being a good person, a good human being, being kind to others. For them, that would translate in the Catholic religion, but later on I realized that obviously this translates transcend completely any kind of faith or religion. The, the values that they really believed in was were the values of the good people. Again, being nice to others. So I grew up with these two references, these two goals and ambitions and dreams, with, without ever having any kind of pressure from my parents. It was literally, they were behaving in the way, they were believing in that so much that just by observing them, somehow by osmosis, I, tr I started to have the same kind of values and culture. They were concerned and afraid by fame or wealth. They were seeing that as potential threat to, uh, for their children and their journey towards uh, being, you know, nice people with good values and very stable in life. Um, and this is interesting because today we live in a society that puts fame and, and wealth often as the ultimate goal. And this is exactly the opposite of the way I grew up uh, back then. Uh, my my father was an architect, but he's been painting all his life. Every single day of his life, still today, in his early 80s, he's painting every day. My mom was working in finance, but she hated it, and she left the, her job when she was 38 to be close to uh, her children. But her passion was to write poems and read and write oh. any kind of thoughts that she had. And she's been doing this all her life. And together, they've been publishing eight books, self-published, online. They don't, they, they don't sell to anybody, just for them. And so I'm mentioning this because this is another part of my early culture, this idea of following what you love, your dreams, your aspirations, and just doing that for yourself not thinking about the potential return or what that could create in your life, just doing what you love and what you dream. So here I am, and I want, I, I shared the special as a kid. I wanted to be either a writer or a painter. I love doing both, and it was coming pretty well, good. You know, I was pretty good at doing th these things as a child already, um, and then I ended up becoming a designer. You mentioned the book. In the book, I explained um, how uh, I, that happened, but long story short, I took a leap of faith. I jumped in a field that I I was not that familiar with, and and then I I totally fell in love with this world, with the world of innovation, I'm entrepreneurship, design. That is all about creating value for people, creating solutions that are meaningful to them. And so, 25 years ago, more or less, I started this journey that through Milan, then Dublin, then St. Paul, Minnesota, and finally New York, led me to where I am today here in PepsiCo as Chief Design Officer of the company. Wow, that's so amazing. And just so you know, I go to Milan every few years, uh, and I generally go with a friend who's in the design business, and it's so much fun to go in and out of the design houses and learn about the, the different qualities of the designs that are available. And, of course, this is in the fashion industry. I'm sure you deal with the much bigger industry when you talk about design. How did you get interested in desi design other than just being good at it as you were growing up? Because, you know, people work at aspiring to design. My daughter went to the Media Arts and Design School at uh, Drexel University, and she was a designer uh, for a short period of time, um, about 15 years, and then she went into aesthetics. Uh, my brother is a designer for Natuzzi Furniture. So tell me how you got into design. Uh, this is an important question because many people, they, they, they hear me talking about design today and, you know, I have a pretty clear vision of what design is and my career was pretty... Uh, straightforward, if you want. And, and so many people may think, oh, he, you know, already as a child, 
he had a very clear vision of what he wanted to do and where he wanted to arrive. And this is not true at all. Uh, as I said earlier, I, I wanted to be a writer, I wanted to be a painter, one of the two. Uh, my approach to everything was very humanistic. Um, but I was coming from a very humble family. We were living in the house projects in this town in the, in, outside of Milan. Uh, we would sleep, the four of us, in one bedroom. So, first of all, I could access university just because in Italy, essentially, university is free to everybody. And this is something great. And then uh, even just to pay the tax, there were not, you know, there was a considerable amount of money. Thank God I got a scholarship. I was doing very well at school. And so I could get to university. But when I had to choose what, what university uh, to, to select, when I had to to university, uh, I, I had a problem. Art, the world of art, my parents were like, well, it's going to be very hard for you when you finish any kind of uh, college or university in art to find a job that can maintain you. And the same as an author. I wanted to write books. I wanted to, to, to be a writer. And they, they told me, look, same kind of situation. And I, you know, they were wiser than me. I decided to to listen to them, and, and there was a university, there was somehow a compromise between the two worlds, it was the University of Architecture. So there was a little bit of art, uh, and it was what my father was doing, even though, again, his passion was uh, the world of art. And so I was like, okay, I could do architecture. And then, just a few weeks before the exam for the admission, uh, I received a call from a, uh, from a schoolmate. Somebody was uh, at school, in high school with me, and he told me, this guy, uh, his name is Giovanni Martinengo, he, he told me, look, there is this new faculty within architecture that is called design, and they just started last year, and I'm considering to try the exam to enter that university. So long story short, I was like, oh, it was called actually Disegno Industriale, Industrial Design. And so it was really appealing because design was somehow reminding me of the world of art and creativity. And industrial was that more practical dimension that could give me access to the industry and to the business world and could give me at the end <laughs> a salary, you know, to go on after the university. So long story short, I tried the admission exam and I, I, I get, I, I get first out of, I don't know, 3,000 students. So I was like, wow, this must be my destiny. And so I decided to jump, literally, with a leap of faith in the void, because I had no clue exactly what the time was about. And after a few weeks and a few months, I realized how beautiful it was, that profession, how inspiring it was. It was exactly what, what, what I always wanted to do, but I didn't know there was a school to do it. But again, I often tell this story for a reason. And yeah, was- we're gonna take um, we're gonna take a quick break. So don't yeah. lose your thought. We're going to just dash away quickly. For those of you who are listening, we're having a very intimate conversation with our new friend Mauro Porcini about his new book. So come right back and learn more about innovation and design. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Icy Tech. Like the hardworking men and women. They get up every day and do their job. The ones that stop at nothing to make sure that it's done right. It's not just an effort. It's not just know-how. It's a way of life. Icy Tech has been with you since 1998. With the veteran community being behind you, we understand. With quality, with passion, we follow you in this way of life. Icy Tech, for those who get it. Icy Tech is a proud sponsor of the Emotional Brilliance Academy, where e-learning is leading edge. How can you be brilliant in the moment? Given the daily challenges you face at work and home, how can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? 
Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams, and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. We're talking with a top worldwide designer, Mauro Porcini, and you can go to his Instagram or, or LinkedIn, Mauro, M-A-U-R-O, Porcini, P-O-R-C-I-N-I, Mauro Porcini. So, Mauro, one of the things in your new book that we want to uh, highlight is coming out this month, The Human Side of Innovation the power of people in love with people. Just hearing your story, and I'm so intrigued about innovation and creativity, you know, and the one thing uh, in studying creativity myself, I'm sure Kathy too, that I like is when you can, you talked a lot about opposites and, and being in that gap between one thing and another. And I know one definition of creativity is when you can hold two and opposing things long enough. Could be from you, North Italy, South Italy. Uh, uh, Italian, English, hold two and opposing things long enough, a third thing can be created. And so I think for many of us, some of the messages, can we hold that creative tension enough for some of that? So maybe talk a little bit about kind of this innovation that you talk about comes from a place of love for others, ties into a lot of the emotional intelligence that we talk about. Yeah, um Actually, the book starts exactly like this. Innovation is an act of love. And a lot of people are like, wow, I mean, what does it really mean? I mean, it's it's so romantic, but what is the business perspective of it? And look, it's enough to deeply understand what innovation is about. And innovation is nothing else than taking something in its status quo and modify that something taking it to a different dimension uh, with a goal. And usually the goal is the one of fulfilling a specific need. Maslow, uh, many years ago, decodified those needs in his pyramid. From the bottom of the pyramid, the physiological needs, the safety needs, uh, to the middle, self-expression, sense of belonging, connecting with others, all the way to the top, something that is bigger than you, transcending yourself. We have a series of needs that, if fulfilled, help us reaching what usually we call happiness. So, when we innovate something, we innovate to fulfill one of these needs, to help people reaching, ultimately, with a summary of all the little innovation that we have all around the world, in our life, in everything we do, what we call happiness. It all started thousands of years ago, with the prehistoric man or the prehistoric woman, when they decided for the first time to modify what was available in nature to help themselves personally and the people around them in a specific need. 
they took a stone that changed the shape of the stone to transform the stone in a hunting tool and then later on in a tool to cook, to prepare the food, to manipulate the food, and then later on in a tool to decorate their bodies, and then eventually to celebrate their God. Already in these three areas, I just mentioned the three main areas of the Maslow Pyramid. So back then, the idea, you as a prehistoric man or woman, of taking something, modifying that something for yourself and for others, was by definition an act of love. You were caring for yourself, for the, for the people around you, and you were trying to help them and yourself by doing something, by creating something. That was what innovation was about. And back then, you were creating all your products and objects by yourself until a certain point, we started to have too many products to produce by ourselves. And so we started to delegate that to others. And, but the path of love was still there. We ask others to create a tool for us, and we'll create something else for them. And, but then scale arrived, and we, we started to create thousands of these products, and we started to invent the idea of work, and then companies, and then brands. And at a certain point, we started to betray the pact of love. And instead of generating products with love in mind, creating really value for other people, we started to create products with profit in mind. And the idea was, I'm going to generate something that somehow is useful to others, but my real goal, my primary goal is to extract as much profit, economic profit out of what I do, versus love. And this has been the situation for many years in our society, until today, and something is changing though, in the past few years. What is changing is, the one in the past, companies, the big companies, were somehow building huge barriers to entry to protect their product through scale of production, distribution, and communication. And they were creating products that eventually were okay, but often not extraordinary, not really fulfilling all uh, the needs of people, not really being an act of love for people. But it was okay because they were doing that. Their competitor was doing something similar. The market was balanced. And we, as users, were going to a store and were buying what was available there. Today, instead, anybody out there, any person out there, any, anybody listening to us today can come up with an idea, get easy access to funding through platform like kickstarter.com online, crowdfunding of ideas, or through the proliferation of investment funds that are hunting for the next big idea to create the next big startup. So they get money in an easier way than in the past to produce whatever idea you have is cheaper today than in the past because of new technologies and globalization. And then you can go straight to your end user uh, to sell them your product through the e-commerce platform and to promote your product through social media. So all these areas were the areas where those big companies were building their barriers to entry. Now they cannot protect anymore the mediocrity, the eventual mediocrity of their products mm. through those barriers to entry anymore. And so the big and small are left with just one solution. They all need to focus on people, on creating real value for people, their needs, their wants, their dreams, from at 360 degrees, the product, the package, the communication, the, the experience, the digital world, you need to create value at 360 degrees, create excellence. We are entering the age of excellence. If you don't do it, somebody else will do it on your behalf. Companies shouldn't profit focus anymore on the creation of profit. They need to focus on the creation of love for the people they serve, the beautiful news for the society we live in. For the first time in history, for, you know, after hundreds of years, Interest, economic interest, is finally aligning with human interest. You need to put human interest at the center of everything if you want to generate that economic interest. There is no other solution anymore. Moro, when you, when you think about this age of excellence and a culture of innovation, why do you think we are not more creative, brilliant, and innovative at work? What, what's going on? It's, it's not just a work, it is in our society in general. Look, the society in general, without, you know, blaming any specific individual, prefer to normalize people. To, you know, I, we call it the dictatorship of the norm. You are born as a child, uh, dreaming, 
you know, you think big and you wander and you're curious and, and you, you fantasize. And then society, schools, educations, families, everybody tells you to stop dreaming. Dreaming is childish. And then mm-hmm. you enter in these companies and you have big ideas. And you want to change the world. You know, how many times young employees at the beginning of their professional journey, they think that they can change everything. And then society normalizes you. And companies are just the expression of society. And when they try to normalize us, well, because if you normalize people, it's easier to control them. It's easier to put them in a mechanism mm-hmm. and have them playing a specific role as a cog in this big machine that works in a very efficient way. And so dreams instead will push you in all different directions. Creativity will push you in all different directions. And creativity and dreams are by definition inefficient. They're not efficient. Because the moment you start to dream and you want to create different things and you want to disrupt the status quo. You are impacting the efficiency of the machine. And so, unfortunately, or I would say fortunately, unfortunately from an economic standpoint, fortunately from a human standpoint, also the companies need to foster creativity and foster innovation because if you don't, you can't progress, you can't evolve. But the entire ecosystem of our society and the companies we work for is designed to extract as much value out of something that is already existing, out of the status quo, making it as efficient as possible so you can reduce costs and generate as much profit as possible. But once again, mm-hmm. we live in the paradox that if you don't evolve the status quo, your company, your brand, yourself, your society, your city, your institutions are going to become irrelevant over time because with the typical inertia of the universe, the universe keeps progressing, keeps evolving. And so we don't have creativity because it's not efficient. And instead, we need to foster creativity, we need to invest in creativity. And this is a magic moment because once again, one in the past, you could be successful as a company, a scale, without too much creativity, without the disruption of innovation. Today, where essentially your product is constantly under attack of people with better ideas that are trying to understand frustrations of the people out there and creating better products, better solutions, better experiences, better brands for them, well, those people are going to make your company, your brand, your experiences, your institution irrelevant if it doesn't change. And that's why these companies need a different breed of talent inside the organizations. They need to evolve eventually the existing talent towards a different kind of dimension. Well, in the past, it was very important to have as many people managing the efficiency of the system. Today, you need to infuse these companies with as many people as possible that are creative, that are innovators, that understand how to disrupt the system anyway, creating a dialogue with the hyper-efficient machine because we still live in that kind of ecosystem. The brilliant, successful people are the ones that are able to combine creativity, mm-hmm. innovation, the ability to, to still dream like a child would do with the ecosystem they work in, with the machine, with the strategy, the processes, uh, the needs of the shareholders. And, and, and this was true also in the past, but the priorities were different. While in the past it was all about the numbers and you were putting that as first objective and then yeah. you were looking at the product, for instance, and the excellence of the product for people as a lever, one of the P's of the marketing mix, one of the levers. Today, instead, you need to put the excellence for people at the center, and everything else will come. It's a, it's a shift in priorities that imply a shift in culture that is necessary, and we are going through all these companies of the world are going through the shift on culture, that we require also a shift in vocabulary. For instance, let's stop calling people consumers. Let's call them people, human beings. A company that calls people consumers, or a community, like the marketing community, the finance community, they call people consumers, see people as in, in two dimensions. First of all, as the people buying their products. Not as the people using their products for their happiness. No, as the people buying the product. Second, they see people as consuming beings. In a world where, you know, one of the major problems we have is lack of resources, you're looking at these people as consuming. You want them to consume more and more and more. 
companies and communities that look at people as people instead, they will put their happiness as their priority. They will try to create something that really fulfills their life, that mm-hmm. is really meaningful for them. And then they will extract business value, financial value out of that. It's a completely different focus that is driven even by just the way you call the people, by your vocabulary, your vernacular inside the organization that is the manifestation of your culture. So, so Mara, this is fascinating what you're saying, it, you know, from really the big picture of being creative and, and going with, you know, people, not consumers, but to the, the community. Is there like an example of a product with uh, in Pepsi that people would know about that you had to deal with this? Because it sounds like you're, you're bringing in a whole different uh, philosophy, which I'm sure people are going to uh, have some issues with. But is there an example of kind of how you were able to bring that into a product that we all, we all know through Pepsi? Look, uh, it is a journey, and and there is a vision of where we want to go, and then there is a machine with thousands of products uh, in gigantic scale that you need to move. And so uh, the way to make that dream happen is to have, first of all, that dream, and then incrementally move the machine in that direction. Let me... Uh, uh, name a couple of examples of this. Actually, I will start with one that was a failure that then transformed itself in something else that is doing very, very well for us. So, two years ago, we launched this product called Greenfinity that essentially is a bottle, um, reusable, that you fill with water, and then you have a pod, and you can add a variety of different ingredients, both um, for flavors, but also functional ingredients. So, something like caffeine or turmeric and a variety of different um, um, ingredients that could give you a functional value. So we launched it a few, a few years ago, first in Brazil and then in the United States, just online. It didn't do very well. It, it sold, but you know we are used to a big scale of products. And, but we really believe in that for multiple reasons. The first one is the fact that um, it's a sustainable product. You reuse your bottle. The second one is that it's healthy, is zero calories, zero sugar, natural, and on top of it, it has also functional benefits for you. Um, and the third reason is that the product was personalizable. So you will choose the part that you want, and 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 it was really designed for you and for your specific needs. Uh, it was just the early manifestation of something much bigger than we have in mind, uh, but it didn't go well. The, the people were not ready for it. They didn't buy it, but that became, uh, you know, we extracted the learning insights for a new product, and instead has been very successful for us. It is called Gatorade GX. Uh, Gatorade GX <laughs> is the same kind of system. It's a bottle, uh, you fill it with water, and then you have a pot. But on top of it, you also have a patch that you put on your skin. It's a wearable technology that essentially monitors your sweating, intensity of sweating and um, the composition, and send information to an app. And the app recommends you wow. specific, uh, the specific part that you need on the base of your body and how you perform and how much you, you work out. And that's amazing. We're we're going to go to a quick commercial, um, just a very quick break, and then when we come back, we'd love to hear not only more about these products because I'm I'm a big user of your lovely and wonderful, loving, um, I'll just say, delicious beverages. And uh, we want to hear something about your unicorns. There's a lot of unicorns. At, at Pepsi, and we'd like to know how we can get some of them to work for us and create some of these amazing products. So don't go away. Come right back. You're listening to Leadership Development News. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
How can you be brilliant in the moment? Given the daily challenges you face at work and home, how can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams, and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking about... Mauro Porcini, and you can go to his LinkedIn or Instagram and get more information. And especially, you know, we're talking about uh, his book that's about ready to come out, Human Side of Innovation, The Power of People in Love with People. So that subtitle and just hearing your passion, Mauro, of, of the people aspect, I can see why, you know, people at Pepsi, you know, uh, really want you in that position because it brings a whole kind of unique perspective uh, versus just the financial piece. And so uh, one of the things that you talk about in the book is this idea of who are the unicorns uh, and why is it so difficult to discover them. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, look, when we hear the word unicorn in, in this society, people immediately think either of these fantastic creatures that fly in the sky that looks like horses or or they think about the billion-dollar startups. Uh, and at a certain point, somebody told me, well, why are you calling these extraordinary innovation leaders unicorns? You could be misleading, you know, especially when we talk about this unicorn startup. And, and I've been thinking a lot about this, and then I realized that actually... To be the unicorn startup, you need this kind of unicorn people. Who are the unicorns and why I call them in this way? Well, many years ago, I, I was building my teams from scratch at 3M. So I started 20 years ago at 3M. I started to build the time from scratch in the company. And I was uh, interviewing many people, thinking about their technical skills. They needed to be amazing designers, but they also needed to understand the world of business. And then obviously you had some soft skills in mind, and I gave that direction to the recruiters. And then here I am, I start to hire these people, and over the years I realized that some of them were great in the position, and some of them were not really ideal, no matter they had the same kind of technical skills. Pass that idea for a second. The other thing that started to happen was that here I am, I am building design in these corporations at 3M first and PepsiCo after. And uh, back in 3M, I, I started to introduce a series of tools and methodologies coming from our own world. For instance, the renowned design thinking methodology. And I hired 
an incredible consultant paid millions of dollars over the years to help us building these processes and these tools. And we start to run projects, a few projects, dozens, hundreds, thousands of projects to the certain point. And here I am, I look back at all these projects and I see that some were working very well and were succeeding in market and some others were not at all, were failing. And so at the beginning I was like, oh, maybe I need to tweak the process and change the way of working and maybe I need a different kind of firm to help us in this. And you tweak things, but the result is still the same. Some work, some don't. You try to understand why, and very quickly I came to the realization that the main difference, the common theme, was one and just one. The people assigned to those projects. I realized that I needed to go back to my hiring board, be more clear about the key characteristics that these people needed to have. And even when I was hiring external firms and agencies, or even when I was partnering with people in marketing, in R&D, in HR, in finance, in all the other functions, I was looking for these unicorns. We call them unicorns because they're so rare to find. Actually, the unicorn, the person embodying the 24 traits of the unicorn doesn't exist. The unicorn lives in the in what Plato would call the world of ideas. It's an aspiration. It's something we need to aspire to all our lives. In fact, one of the characteristics of the unicorn is this realization, this awareness that life is a journey of learning and growth. And so the unicorn, I call them in this way, they are students of life, students for life. They see their entire life as an opportunity to keep learning. They see every experience, every project, every encounter, every book, everything that they do in their life as a unique opportunity to learn something new. So what are the characteristics of these unicorns? Well, some are more obvious than others when you talk about leadership and innovation. For instance, they are able to think big, to dream. We were talking about dreams uh, a while ago, and dreaming is typical of the children who are very good at dreaming at the beginning, and then, once again, we lose that ability. Uh, the real innovators are able to protect the ability to dream. They are able to protect what the Italian poet Giovanni Pascoli would call the fanciullino, the little child that is in ourselves, and with the years start to fade away. So the unicorns are dreamers. Uh, the problem is that often, you know, maybe you succeed in being a dreamer, and it's not easy because society, once again, in the day-to-day, tell you that it's not okay, you stop dreaming. Some of us, they keep dreaming, but some of us are not able then to land those dreams in something concrete and tangible. So the unicorns are the ones that are able to combine and blend perfectly, in perfect balance, the dream with action, with execution, with making things happen. So already this is not that easy, but this characteristic when you talk about leaders is pretty obvious. You know, we heard about this in books, literature, and conferences. There are other characteristics that are less obvious. Unicorns are kind, they're optimistic, they're curious, and there are many other things that you don't expect, but let's focus for a second on these three characteristics that somehow embody many many of the others. Uh, Curiosity. You know, when you're curious, you're driven by this insatiable desire to learn. Curiosity pushes you to get out of your comfort zone and embrace dialogue with people you meet on the street or you encounter in your uh, life, especially people that are different from you. Uh, Curious people love diversity by definition because they understand that in the diversity of thinking or background, Uh, is hidden the precious gift of knowledge. They know that by connecting your perspective with the perspective of another person, first of all, you will learn more about what you know about life or anything else. And second, from my perspective, combined with your perspective, we will generate through dialogue a third perspective, the original perspective, the creative perspective, the innovative perspective, the one that didn't exist before. And so curious people, they love to connect with others. They love to read, they love to travel. They don't go from one business meeting to the other, from one city to the other, and they stay in the business meeting room without getting lost in the city where they are, without exploring the city, without observing the way people behave and eat and drink and communicate and have fun. These are 
the people that are curious. And how many times when we hire a person and we place a person in a critical position, we ask ourselves and we ask the person, is this person curious? Is is it a criteria that we use to progress the career of our leaders inside our organizations? For us, at PepsiCo, in our PepsiCo design team, this is one of the key criteria, the curiosity of the individual. Optimism is another one. When you try to change the status quo, when you're trying to innovate, by definition, you will always face roadblocks. All the time, shut doors, difficulties. If you don't, it means that you're not changing anything. So when you don't face any kind of roadblocks and you're trying to innovate, ask yourself, am I really innovating? You sh- we shouldn't be concerned about the difficulties. We should be concerned about the lack of difficulties. And the innovators, therefore, because of these difficulties, they need to be optimistic. They need to see the glass as full. I had multiple people inside my organization over the years, they were amazing designers, amazing strategists. They were really good at what they were doing, but they were facing these difficulties and they were somehow pessimistic. They were always sad because they were not doing everything they could do. They were seeing the potential, not as an aspiration, not something that gives you energy, but something that you didn't do yet. And so the optimism is very, very important. And, you know, you are partially born with optimism inside. It's partially a natural talent, but partially something we can nurture over the years. For instance, you know, every day I face these roadblocks and in the moment when I face them, I get really emotional, I get really pissed. And then after a few hours, I relax, I forget, and I keep going. How do I do? Once again, partially it's nature, but the other technique I use, I simply step back and I try to think about where I'm coming from and where I'm going. Where I'm coming from, where I was before, one year ago, two years ago, in the project or in my job or in my situation, reminds me of the progress I did and make me celebrate Mm. where I am today. Not just the negative, but the positive of what I reached. The dream, the dream, and that's why it's important to dream, reminds me where I want to go and gives me that energy and that excitement of everything we can do to get there and thinking about what is going to happen when I'm there. And so well, this Moro, is and then, yeah, yeah. We are at that point where we have to be optimistic about your book, <laughs> The Human Side of Innovation, The Power of People in Love with People. And unfortunately, it's time for us to say goodbye our audience for this week's show but we love you and I cannot tell you how much we absolutely are committed to making your book a success helping others understand the passion that you have inside of this book that can help us all and I just want to thank you for being with us and we will dream with you I promise Well, thank you, Mark. And really, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. And let's cheer to love. Let's toast to love. Let's celebrate love. It's so important today, more than ever. Uh, You're leaving me me with a big smile on my face. (laughs) You've been listening to Leadership Development News. Tune in again next week. Thank you. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you gained some great ideas and inspiration on how to elevate your leadership skills. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.